Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org slash give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. All right, grab your Bibles, turn to your cell phones, look at the screen. We're going to read God's Word. Ruth chapter 3, Ruth chapter 3, we're going to read verses 9 through 11. Will you stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word? Ruth chapter 3, beginning with verse number 9. And the Bible said, he said, he said, speaking of Boaz, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Spread your cloak over me, for you are my redeeming kinsman. Everyone say kinsman. And he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown your last act of kindness to be greater than the first, because you've not pursued young men, whether poor or rich. So now, my daughter, do not worry. All that you ask me, I will do for you. All of my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. This morning, I want to talk to you on the topic of faith and its reward. Faith and its reward. In our first service here, we have a group of young ladies that attend our church that play for the Orlando Pride. They're professional soccer players, and they're playing here tonight. And I text one of the young ladies that will be praying for them and the team today, and they always appreciate that. And we are thankful that they've made City Church their home church. I told them we're going to pray, and I want you to join with me as we have our pastoral prayer moment today. Father, thank you today for your grace. And, Lord, for these uh, young women, Lord, and their commitment to you, to, Lord, when they're here in the city, Lord, they come to city church, they study their Bibles, God, they're, they're being lights in a world, Lord, that has lots of challenges. And I, I thank you, Lord, for their commitment to, to your purposes for their life. And I bless them today. I pray protection over them tonight as they play. I pray for great grace upon this team. Thank you, Lord, that you have ones that you've called out by name and you place them in place of influence in our generation. And so we speak life over them. We speak blessing over them them tonight and then lord let them have a great big win in jesus name now father i pray for every person here give them an ear to hear give them an ear to hear a spiritual ear and give them an eye to see and lord i need a mouth to speak in your mighty and powerful name and everyone said amen you may be seated i want to give you a real quick recap here so we're going to do a quick rewind chapter one there was famines failure funerals and faith all right, so this guy by the name of Emelech, uh, his name means God is my king, which we see all throughout the book of Ruth, the significance of names. This guy, Elimelech, his name God means my king. He lives in a place called Bethel, which means the house of bread or the place of bread. There's a famine come. The famine comes because the last verse of Judges says, in this time period, Every person did what was right in their own eyes. So they, they were uh, the children of Israel. They were living like it was Mardi Gras, spring break, and prison, gr- prison break all wrapped up into one. They're doing it, whatever they want to do. They have no cognizance or no awareness that there's a holy God who's called them by name, cares for them. They're living their own kind of life. And because of that, God brings discipline. And the discipline that came to them was in the form of famine or lack. So this guy, his name is Elimelech, he's got a wife, he's got two sons. His wife's name is uh, Naomi, her name means pleasant one. His two boys are Na- uh, Malon and Kilion, they're two Klingon sons, their names means sickness and death. He packs them up and he goes to a place called Moab. Everyone say Moab. 
Moab simply means a place just short of the promised land or not enough. And it's not where God's people are supposed to be. You're not supposed to live in a place of not enough. That's not God's purpose and plan for them. And, but they're living there. And in Moab, bad happens. There's a funeral. First, it's the funeral of Elimelech. Elimelech croaks. He dies. He's been a bad dad. Doesn't do any preparation for his kids, for his wife, for his boys. And so all of a sudden, they find themselves in dire straits because right after the dad dies, the two sons die. So that we got three widows here. We got Naomi, we got another daughter-in-law, because while they were in the place of Moab, his two sons married Moabite women, which they weren't supposed to do, so another bad decision. So a bad dad makes a bad decision, then his two sons make bad decisions, and so one's name is Orpah, Orpah, not Oprah, but named Orpah, and her, her name means one who turns off or one who veers from the way. And uh, so when they, are, they get wind that there's bread back in Bethel, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah start on the trail. And Orpah says, you know what, I'm not going to go that way. So she turns off. But Ruth, Ruth makes this statement to Naomi. She says, your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go, and your God will be my God. Wow, what a profession of love. What a profession of loyalty. And so we see the character of this girl by the name of Ruth right there. And they're on their way back to Bethel because they heard that there's bread in the land, which leads us to chapter two. And so chapter two is a story of the providence of God, the story of God's provision, and then his great big plan. And so in chapter two, we, we see that just so happened. Everyone say, it just so happened. It just so happened that this girl by the name of Ruth, she, she's a woman of action. I mean, they got no food. They got, they got a, no family. So they're two widows. And they got, because they got no family, they got no funds. Everyone say no funds. So life's pretty tough. They're in a very difficult spot. No family, no funds, no way to take care of themselves. She says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go down and I'm going to do some gleaning. Now, there was an Old Testament law that said, listen, listen, if you own a farm, if you own a plantation, if you, if you have crops, when you go to, at harvest time to reap the harvest, leave a little extra for the poor, for the widow, and for the foreigner. So you didn't make sure. That was like God's safety net for the Jewish culture. It was God's way of provision. It was his food stamp program for people that didn't have need, or did, that were in need. And so, and so there was this law that required that they do it, and they were doing it. And so she goes down to glean, and she's gleaning with a bunch of other people. And it just so happened that the field that she decided to glean on was owned by a guy by the name of Boaz. Everyone say Boaz. Boaz, he's a good guy. Boaz, he's, he's, he's allowing gleaners to come onto his field. It just so happens that this guy, Boaz, is a relation to Naomi. He's a relation to Naomi through her former husband, who's now passed away. His name was Elimelech, and he is a kinsman redeemer. There was another law, kind of a mysterious law. We're going to talk about it in the story but uh, a little bit later. But there's this law that says there's an opportunity for them to have another life again. And, and so she's gleaning down there. She's working down there. It just happens that she ends up in this field. It just happens that Boaz takes notice of her. It just so happens that, that God meets her need in that moment. This is just the providence of God at work in her life. And then we see God's great big hand positioning her for what we are in today, chapter 3. A moment of faith, very, very risky faith, and its reward. I want you to look at verse number one to me. Faith, and, faith is risky. Faith is risky in verse number one. And the Bible says, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, why should not I find a home that will be good for you? 
So, you know, Naomi, she's, she, she actually at one point in the story, in chapter one, she's so frustrated with God. She's so angry at God for her predicament and situation, she changes her name. See, her name means pleasant one in the Hebrew, Naomi, but when she's frustrated, angry, and life isn't working, and she's gone from, you know, failure to famines to funeral, she's, she's, she doesn't see God's hand in her life, she has no hope. She says, you know what, don't call me Naomi pleasant one anymore, call me Mara, bitter one, bitter, I'm a bitter old woman, I don't go to church no more, what are you talking about, there are a bunch of hypocrites down there, I, I just sat at home, I watch, Joel Osteen's my pastor now, <laughs> She's angry. She's mad. She doesn't see any hope for a preferred future. And so here she is. She, but, all, but, but the way every single one of these chapters ends, that it starts with a problem and it always ends with hope. And so she's got hope. She starts to see there's bread back in Bethlehem. And God has taken care of her and Ruth through this guy by the name of Boaz. He meets their need. It's amazing. It's provision. She's, maybe she's feeling a little bit guilty here. You know what? I brought this girl. I brought this woman, Ruth, and she's so loyal to me. She's so committed. She doesn't have a whole a family. But you know what? There's this guy. I think his name was Boaz. And she, they worked together for a couple months. And he's a kinsman redeemer. Man, there might be something here. And so she calls Ruth to her. And she says in verse number two, Now is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you have been working tonight who winnows barley on the threshing floor? She's hatching a plan. This little Jewish, she's not a grandma yet, but this little Jewish woman, she, she's hatching a plan in her mind. And she's, she says, you know, Ruth, God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> you know, the fact is sometimes people do have plans for your life. It might not be God's plan, but this particular plan is a plan that this woman hatches in her mind. And what I, what I love about this story is it just says it. See, there's two ways that you can read the Bible. You can read the Bible descriptively, telling the story that it is, or you can read it prescriptively. Everyone say descriptive. Everyone say prescriptive. And here's the difference. The descriptive way of reading the Bible, this is just what it says. And when I study the Bible, when I look at truths in the Bible, I first start out, what is it saying? And this is just telling the story. It's not telling us it's good. It's not telling us it's bad. It's not telling us it's the way to do it. It's just telling us the story. The prescription, the prescriptive way of reading the Bible is, what is, it, what is God saying to me? Now, when you're reading the score, I just want you to read this story as being descriptive. So look what she says here in verse number three. She says, now wash and anoint yourself. Now, Ruth, here's what you do. Come on, I know you've been out in the field, and you're all pitted. You've been working out there for two months, cleaning down the girl. You've got to go take a shower. <laughs> Because there ain't no guy going to pay attention to you looking like that. My wife used to say, listen, girls, if the barn needs painting, put paint on it. <laughs> Get yourself, put some perfume on. I mean, put yourself perfume on and put your best clothes. Now, girls, don't kid yourself. You know you do this. You're single out there and you're looking for the man. You're looking for the, not just any man, you're looking for the man. You get yourself dressed up. You get yourself dolled up. And so she says, listen, come on. 3,000 years, girls been getting themselves dolled up. Right? You want to go someplace in five minutes? She says, don't give me five minutes. I need four hours. And so she needs a little bit of time here. And so she says, then go down to the threshing floor, but do not let the man know that you were there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, notice the place where he is lying and go in and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. Now, I got to tell you, this is risky. This is provocative. I mean, a lot, before you get to all Harlan-esque on me here, all right, before you get all, you know, that Harlan-esque romance stuff going here, just, just read the story for what it says. 
I mean, this is the way relationships take place. There is an emotional connection when people begin to connect. And the fact is, she is positioning herself. And Naomi is smart. She knows. She knows that this is their hope for a different future. She knows that if Ruth is ever going to have a chance to get married, that this guy is the one. Now, Ruth doesn't see it, and Boaz definitely doesn't see it. I mean, he's single. He's smart. He's a hard worker. He owns his own land. I mean, you got to think this guy, Boaz, probably been thinking, I don't know how old he is. Maybe he's 40s. He's still single. He's like, God, what is going on, man? He goes, God, you know, I got my 401k taken care of. I got money put aside for my future kids' college. I, I got a house already built. I mean, this guy's a sharp guy. His name actually means swift one or sharp one. He's a sharp dude, but he's still single. Now, you got to know there's some questions going on in his mind. Why am I still single? I mean, at his age, why is he still single? You know why? Because God hadn't brought the right person into his life yet. So, I mean, it's a provocative story. There is an element of faith and risk here, but there's also an element of romance. Now, when Naomi told Ruth to go uncover his feet, that was very significant. It was significant. That wasn't, you know, and, and, and you know, you, you want to read something more into the story than what there really is. What was really being said here was the same concept of idea is that when God, when God covers over us with the shadow of his wing, it's the same principle that's taught in, in chapter two where the Bible says that he will cover us with the shadow, or the shadow of the Almighty will cover us with his wing. And so she's saying, you uncover his feet and then you lie down and he will tell you what to do. Now, I, I said this here to the single girls, listen, the guy's been working out in the field, he's full, and had a little bit too much to drink. Don't go, don't go lay down at the bottom of his foot, all right? That ain't the right thing to do. And this is not a prescription for single girls. This is just telling us what happened. It's just making it plain. But what's really happening is she's awakening this guy to the fact that destiny is staring him right in the face. His future his hope, his life is staring him right. The plan of God, of him to be married. Because under the Old Testament law, man, under the Old Testament economy and covenant, if a guy was single for a long period of time, it wasn't considered a good thing. As a matter of fact, they were, they were, they were to fulfill the Genesis mandate to come together as husband and wife and to reproduce and to fill the earth. That's the mandate they lived under. And here's this older single guy, and he's still single. And what Ruth does here really is so sincere. It's not sexy. It's simple. She's simply obeying what her mother-in-law told her to do. Look at verse number five. So the Bible says, she, Ruth, said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did all that her mother-in-law had instructed her. First of all, she said, I'm going to do it. I will do it. And then she backed up her words with her actions. You got to hear this today. Faith requires action. It is impossible to please God without faith. But when you put your faith in God, it means you also put your feet into action. And she did everything. What shows me today, she really honored her mother-in-law. This girl, Ruth, her love and her loyal, loyalty is just something that's hard to even express in our culture today when contracts and marriages and relationships are broken so easily. I mean, when she told this woman, your God will be my God and your people will be my people, wow, amazing. That is an amazing statement of faith. 
I mean, she's a Moabite. She lives in Moab, the place of not quite enough, not quite there, the place of sin, the place, the place far from God. And in one moment of time, she makes a declaration. I'm, I'm going to make your God my God. Some of you here today, you were over here. You were living in Moab in a foreign place. You were far from God. You were serving the gods of our generation. You were living for yourself. And then one day, you had an awakening. You had a revelation. You met a person. You met an individual that told you about Christ. You heard a message. You picked up a Bible. And all of a sudden, something in your heart began to speak. You said, you know what? I'm going to leave that place, and I'm going to come to this place. And your God, God, you will be my God. And your people will be my people. And today, I want you to know, when you make that decision, you set in motion a life of faith. And if you walk out this life of faith, it will be rewarded. So she's walking out this life of faith. And this life of faith is simple. It's not complicated. Sometimes we overcomplicate the matter. We make it too difficult. Sometimes God's will, the next step for your life, is just simply right in front of you right now. Uh, you got to hear this today. Somebody, what, what's God's will? I mean, you Google, what is God's will for my life? Or how do I know God's will? There's all these messages, 19 steps to finding God's will for your life. <laughs> Let me help you find him with God's will today. Here's how you find God's will. You pray and you obey. Hear me? I want you, you pray and then you obey. You simply live your life to please the Lord. You put him first. You make the decision. When you made the decision to come today, you were saying, God, I'm putting you first. That's a right thing to do. Because, see, there's, you know, when you're making a decision in your life, there's three things you can do. You can make the wrong decision at the wrong time, and what do you get? You get a wrong result. You can make the wrong decision at the right time, and what happens? You get a wrong result. But when you make the right decision at the right time, right things happen. And so she's making a right decision. She's stepping out in faith. James says it like this, in the same way, faith by itself, it is not company by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Faith is activated by what we do, what we speak, what we say, how we live. Peter Drucker said, what you have to do, and the way you have to do it is incredibly simple. It's simple, it just ain't always easy. He says, whether you are willing to do it or not is another matter. You might know what to do, you might know how to act, but you choosing to make the decision to do it is completely different from knowing. That's the longest journey of every person's uh, in this room. The longest journey of your life will be from here to here. And so she makes the right decision. Faith is risky, but her faith is focused on a preferred future. I want you to look at verse 7 with me. See, this girl, she's very clear. Her faith, her faith is clear about what she wants. Look at verse number seven. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then Ruth came softly and tenderly and uncovered his feet and she lay down. Wow. Oh, come on. You, know, you can like hear the romantic music playing in the background, right? It's just, what a love scene, man. Like she just... God gently doesn't want to wake him up, doesn't want to disturb him. Whew. What a vulnerable position to put herself in. Guys, this isn't common. Not even 3,100 years ago. This wasn't normal. This isn't normally how relationships took place and how they happened. 
Normally what happened in biblical times would have been more like what took place when Jacob went down to serve a man who would be his father-in-law. And he had to work, and then they had an agreement. It was kind of family arranged, and he did this, and seven years, and then he gave him the first daughter, and then and that didn't quite work. The guy slipped in the wrong girl, and he had to marry her, and then he has to work again. I mean, most relationships were, were prearranged. I mean, a child really didn't have a lot to do with it. Uh, there's a couple that attends our church here. They're from India. And one time I was asking them how they got together. They said, well, it was simple. Our parents uh, picked, out one another, uh, picked us out for one another, and we never met each other until 10 days before we said, I do. And here they are 25 years later, and they're still married. I mean, there's a lot of cultures in the world still operate that. It's, and it's very similar to what happened in this culture back then. And so for this woman to expose herself with this kind of transparency was very risky. But she is really clear and what she wants. And the Bible says, at midnight, everyone say at midnight. Here's the midnight rendezvous. She's uncovered his feet. She's uncovered his feet gently. This is a very powerful statement biblically here. And the man was startled and rolled over, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Hello. <laughs> You're like sleeping there. Whoa. What's, whoa, 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 whoa. See, Naomi was trying to get his attention. Ruth was trying to get his attention. But ultimately, God was trying to get his attention. Because here's this man. He's a kinsman redeemer. He doesn't see it. Doesn't see his destiny. Doesn't see what his purpose is. Doesn't, doesn't really see how this, how this whole thing is going to add up. Just thinks this is his lot in life forever. And then God sends this woman to get his attention. And what I know about God is God always brings the right people at the right time in our lives. So this woman, Ruth, is the right person at the right time to awaken him to his sense of purpose and his destiny. Look what she says here in verse 9. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid servant. Spread your cloak over me. See, first she uncovers his cloak. That's a sign of vulnerability on his part. And now she's saying, now I want you to take that cloak and I want you to put that cloak over me. See, that cloak represented something. That represented covering that cloak represented protection. That cloak represented provision. That cloak represented redemption. She's saying, Boaz, I want you to be my protector. I want you to be my provider. I want you to be my redeemer. That's what I want. See, in that moment, Boaz becomes a reflection of Christ, who is Christ to us. When we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I need you to cover me. I need you to take your cloak. I need you to cover over all my sins. I love the promise of John that says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all wrongdoing. The psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, he'll remember my sins no more. You see, when Christ shed his blood on Calvary's tree at that very moment, the blood of Christ was made a covering, a provision for every single person in this room. And this bold young lady, in one moment of transparency, says, I want you to take that cloak and I want you to cover me. I want to be your wife. That's what she's saying. I want to be your wife. I want you to be my kinsman redeemer. I don't read anything more into this. I mean, some people want to immediately, you know, like they had, you know, you read some, and I've read all kinds of stuff on this, and they want to make this some kind of sexual activity that took place. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what the scriptures say. As a matter of fact, as you read through this text, you will see the Bible actually calls these people, both of them, noble and virtuous. But it's, there's relationship happening here. There's a connection happening here. 
And that intimacy is going to take place. It's going to happen. But right now, the relationship is building. There was a strange Old Testament law. It's called the Law of the Kinsman Redeemer, found in Deuteronomy. It doesn't quite work in our culture today. I mean, when you read it, it sounds odd and strange. But they were very familiar with this law. And what the law basically said is that if a, if a man dies and he has a brother, man dies and he's married and he has a brother, his brother is to marry that woman to bring him into his family so that his line can continue. It actually says actually to have relationships, they have kids, and then that guy's kids will take the, his brother's name. I mean, it's a complicated thing. It doesn't make any sense in our culture. But in biblical times, a person's name, remember this, one of the themes of this Bible, uh, this story is the significance of names. Every part of the story, every name, every word in the, hit, in the Hebrew paints a picture. It paints a story of redemption. It paints a story of love. It paints a story of God's grace. It paints a story of provision. It paints a story of, uh, of relationships. And so, and so this law says, you know, that this is what they're to do. And this is what I love about this guy, Boaz. He knows the law. And look what happens here. He says in verse 10, he said, may you be blessed of the Lord. He just speaks a blessing over her. Like, wow, what you have done. I mean, because he's waking up now. I mean, he's starting to come to his senses. Hey, there's something here. There's emotions going. There's feelings here. My wife and I had met each other in 19... 19- 86. We met each other in August of 1986 at Portland Bible College. And uh, it was a nice introduction. And, and I remember the previous year, there was a guy that was, his name was Kenny Rogers. He was my roommate. And Kenny Rogers told me about this girl that lived in Salem, Oregon, that drove a red Porsche. And he said he really liked her a lot. And I, liked it. I didn't know who this girl was, a red Porsche. And she had another friend. And, and so this, this girl that I met in 1986 just happened to be just happened to be that girl and so I'd had some slight introduction and we were we had a conversation and communication and and she had gone to school there previously and the people that knew her when they saw her and they saw me they're like uh, you guys are done you guys are history As a matter of fact there were some some guys at the school they were teasing her and making fun of her because she walked the way I walked she talked the way I, we liked the same things we we had a lot in common but our relationship there was there was no relationship there's a matter of fact as a matter of fact, after I was at school for about two months, one day we were standing in the hallway of one of the, one of the classroom buildings, and she said to me, she goes, don't bring me flowers and don't bring me chocolate. I'm like, all right, I won't bring you flowers and I won't bring you You know what she was saying? Like, okay, that's good. I like our friendship, but we ain't going any farther than that. The next month, I ask her out on a date. And man, the very first date. Bam, shazam, lightning bolts. She was the magnet, I was a steel, kaboom. And from that day, we've never been separated. Come on, amen. <laughs> I, now, this one, she had to wake up. No, we both had to wake up. I didn't know. Boaz didn't know. But now he's awakened to the reality of this relationship. This girl's faith is so daring but it's about to be rewarded. You've shown your last act of kindness. This word kindness is said in the Hebrew. It's love, loyalty, compassion, faithfulness, grace, mercy, all wrapped up into one. We don't even have a word in the English to describe it. You know, the reason that they use word pictures in the Hebrew is because there's only 8,000 words in the original language. In our English language, we have over 140,000 words. We take, we make up words we take words from other cultures. We twist words. Every few words, you got to be careful. Because I said something in the first service. My son said, you know what that means today? I said, no. He says, well, Urban Dictionary it. <laughs> right? 
I mean, we're twisting meanings and taking new meanings. We have so many different words. But in the Hebrew, there were 8,000 words. And this word has said, it was beautiful. This is a woman, a loving kindness. She's special. She has left the gods of her generation. She's left her home. She's left her family. She's followed this woman, Naomi. She's made Naomi's God her God. And Naomi's family, her family. She's such a loving person. She's a loyal person. Tell the young ladies here, be the woman that not every man just wants to live with, but be the woman that a man can't live without. And that's the kind of woman that she is. That's the kind of person that she is. Boaz is going to realize, hey, I'm, I can't live without this girl. And so he rewards her kindness. Look at verse number 11. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you what she was clear she was clear. She, what she wanted, when she uncovered that cloak, and she said, cover me over your cloak now. She said, I want you to be my husband. I want you to be my protector. I want you to be my provider. Men, listen up. Come on, that's our responsibility. We protect. We provide. We honor. We cover. We don't expose our spouse's weakness. We cover our spouse's weakness. Men and women, both women. It ain't okay to make fun of your husband in front of a bunch of his friends and embarrass him. That's not all cool. It's not cool. It's not good. We cover one another. He says, listen, I'll do for what you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. He would not have said that if they had just had sexual intercourse. If they had just had a sexual relationship, he would, have not, he would not have said that. Because that was not permissible. It was not, commi- it was not permissible to commit fornication and adultery in the Old Testament. It's not permissible today. They hadn't had int- they're going to have intimacy. They're going to have a sexual relation. But that's not what's happened yet. You're a noble woman. You're a woman of noble character. That's what I say here. Godly women don't chase a man. They just get in his way. <laughs> she wasn't chasing him. She's just getting in his way. She's making it awfully hard for him to resist. But he's very aware of the challenges that lay before him. She's very, he's very aware. Look at verse number 12. Now it's true that I'm, redeeming a, I'm a redeeming kinsman. Are you with me? Yeah. Come on, are you hanging here? Come on, don't leave me yet. Now it's true that I'm a redeeming kinsman, yet there is another redeemer closer than I am. So, you know, the law we read in Deuteronomy, 20, Deuteronomy 25 says the closest relative. The cl- first it's the brother, then the closest relative. Well, this guy is a relative, but he's not the closest relative. There's another guy. So they got a problem. So he's real. He's real about the challenge. He's real. He's acknowledging there's a difficulty. There's a problem. In order for us to get together, there's some things that God is going to have to work out. I mean, in order for this relationship to work, because I can't take it any further. I've done everything. I mean, I'm going to do everything I know to do. But unless God works something here, man, somebody else is going to have an opportunity to marry you. Proverbs 21 says, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. God's providence, God's providence, our responsibility, but ultimately it is God that works on our behalf. I don't know the future. You don't know. People say, Pastor, you know, I got this issue. What should I do? I say, I don't know. I'm not God. Ask him. I mean, I mean, there's some principles that we can live by. There's some things that we can see what to do and what not to do. The Bible's very clear. The Bible, you know, how to spend your money. The Bible is clear. The Bible's very clear about human relationships. I mean, there's some things the Bible's very clear about, but your daily life, you're going to be confronted with decisions that you're going to have to trust. You're going to have to trust that God is working on your behalf. That's called faith. And faith is risky. Faith is provocative. Faith is clear in what it wants. 
Now, Ruth is clear in what she wants. She wants a different destiny. But he assures her. He goes, if he won't redeem you, then I will. I'm going to do my part. And here's the deal. In the walk of faith, there's your part and God's part. And you got your part to play in this. I mean, we sit on the sideline and we wait for good things to happen. I mean, just, I mean guys, I got to tell you, we're, we're proactively involved in the journey that God has called us on. And so he's walking this out. He says, if he doesn't do it, he's making a promise. He's making a commitment. I will. He's already got that part of the wedding ceremony down. I do. I do. I will. Uh, I commit myself to doing this. So he's accurately assessed this predicament. In verse number 14, so she lay at his feet until morning. Because now they're in a predicament. Look at verse number 14. Verse number 14. Boom. All right, so she lays at his feet until morning, but she arose before anyone could recognize another. Then he said to her, it must not be known that a woman came to this threshing floor. There's a predicament going on here because the only women that would slide in and have a midnight rendezvous weren't noble women. They were women of the night. And that's not what Ruth is. She's a godly woman. He realizes that people's perceptions are important. She realizes what the town is going to think if she goes sliding out in the middle of the night. So he says, listen, I want you to stay right here. You know why? Once again, he's an honorable man. He wants to cover her. He doesn't want anybody thinking bad about her. He cares about what other people think. So he's committed to protecting her honor and reputation. And then I want you to see how her faith is rewarded in verses 15 through 17. And then in verse number 15, he says, bring me the shawl you have on you and hold it. And so she held it. And he poured six measures of barley into it and placed it on her. Then she went back into the city. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi said, how did it go, my daughter? She said, you're not going to believe what happened. He said, I do. He said, I will. You're not going to believe it. This is amazing. Naomi, you are so smart. I can't believe you're such a wonderful mother-in-law. Oh, she's like blown away. What happened? He said, yes. He said, yes. Now, she didn't know that. Now, listen, when I asked my wife, I was about 99% sure. Don't be like this guy in Boston. I don't know if you saw this this week. It went, I first saw it on Twitter. But it was all over the place, all over the internet. This guy in Boston, he proposes underneath the Budweiser sign at the Fenway Park. And guess what she said? No. Don't do that. All right? All right, dudes, learn a lesson from this guy here. All right? This is prescriptive. Don't propose under the Budweiser sign at the local park. All right? And so anyway, so she's blown away. Boaz happens to say, I do. And here's the thing. This guy, this guy is the kind, of, the kind of man that we are called to be in this church. He's a provider. He takes, it, he takes his responsibility serious. He's provided for his family. You see, Naomi's first husband was not a good dad. He wasn't a, he wasn't a good husband. He never provided for his family. I mean, when he died, there was nothing. He left his wife and his, his two daughter-in-laws in complete destitution. And people get all worked up about money, but I got to tell you, you have a responsibility as a man to make sure that your children and your family is taken care of. It's what good dads do. We save, we work hard, we give, we love God, we love people, but we take care of our families. And so he's a good man. He's a good man. He's a provider, but he's also a protector. He's going to protect her reputation. But ultimately, he's a, 
He's going to be a redeemer. He's going to be a redeemer. He says, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. You're going to take care of her too. And that's what blessing does. That's what favor does. It isn't just for you. The favor of God doesn't just flow into your life, but it flows downstream. And it blesses other people that are in your sphere of influence. And that's exactly what happens. Ruth's blessing, Ruth's favor, Ruth's provision became a blessing to her mother-in-law as well. And then here's the final thing. Here's the final thing. Verse number 18. Then Naomi said, wait here. Wow. She's proposed, a little odd. I mean, just still, when I read the story, it's a little odd. I get the bigger picture. God's at work here. God's awakening this man to his destiny. God's awakening him to the reality that he's a kinsman redeemer. He's the only one that can save Naomi and Ruth from a life of famine and failure and no family, right? He's the only one. He's got it now. He's got his responsibility in this thing. And he loves her. He's fallen in love with her. She's beautiful. Her name actually means beautiful one. He's fallen in love with her. And he's going to do it. I'm going to do this. Wow. This lady's special. She's a special person. She's a special woman. And she goes back. And then Naomi says, wait. Wait, 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 wait. It's the hardest word in your human vocabulary. Wait. Right? Five-year-old in the back seat with my two sisters. They were three, four, and three. Two German Shepherd dogs in a 1966 Dodge Dart. We're going from Tucson, Arizona to Los Angeles, California to go to Disneyland. And I'm sitting in the back seat. Three kids, two German Shepherds. 630 miles. My dad in the front seat. Dodge Dart, 1966 Dodge Dart. Dad! Are we there yet? Come on. Are we there yet? (laughs) Are we there yet? Over and over and over, we see this prescription in the Bible where God says, wait. God says, wait, 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 wait. They're in the upper room. Jesus says, go and wait for the promise of my spirit. They had to wait 50 days. They prayed. They sought the Lord. Wait, and then wait, 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 wait on God. Abraham's waiting, 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 but his wife gets impatient. She makes him go sleep with another woman. That's a problem. He has a child by the name of Ishmael. That's a problem. Got ahead of God. Sometimes, man, while we're in the meantime, you know, from the promise of God to the reality of what God wants to do in your life can be a long journey. For the Israelites, from the time that Moses led them out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea on their way to the promised land, Took them 40 years. An 11-day journey took them 40 years because God was doing something in their life. You see, when you are waiting, God is doing something in your life. He's creating a spirit and a heart of dependency on Him. Because you can't do this on your own. I can't do this on my own. Proverbs says it like this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding and in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will direct your steps. Are you looking to Google to direct your steps? Or are you looking to God to direct your steps? I'll Google that. All right, we Google everything. Are you looking Google to give you the next step of what you're supposed to do? Or are you turning to God? Are you looking, God, what is my next step in you? That pr- I'm telling you, man, you got a child that grew up in the house of God and they made a decision to go left and they're like Orpah, they're out there and you don't know what's going on and you're afraid for them and God's saying, don't quit. 
Don't just keep waiting. Keep praying. Don't stop. Don't stop doing your part. Keep moving forward. Keep activating your faith. I love Matthew 7 11. We call it the 7 11 prayer. Go down to 7 11. Jesus said, Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. While you're waiting on God, don't stop. Don't quit. When you're going through the valley of the shadow of hell, come on, you're going through hell. Don't stop. Don't make your bed there. Don't make your bed there. Keep on going. Though I, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, of hell, I will fear no evil. Do you know why? Because God is providentially working on your behalf. God hasn't forgotten you. God cares for you. God sees you. God loves you. You're the apple of his eye. You're his chosen today. Come on. He knows you by name. He saw the hair that went down the drain this morning. He knows every detail of your life. And God's saying, wait, 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 wait. Because you're going to get a suddenly. Everyone say suddenly. God's got a suddenly. But what do you do when the suddenly doesn't show up? <laughs> what do you do then? You just keep waiting, and you keep believing, and you keep living, and you keep loving, and you keep serving, and you're like Abraham. The Bible says, although the promises of God were afar off, did he make a detour? Yeah, but he got back up. So what? You made a mistake last week. So what? You made a mistake last month. Get back up. Come on. Keep looking for a city and builder whose maker is God. Come on. He's faithful. God will redeem God will redeem. God will redeem. He cares. Wait on the Lord. I say wait. Wait on God. In the meantime, God, we wait on you. We wait on your presence and your power. God, I don't understand. I don't know why. But God, I'm going to trust you. Some men trust in horses. Some men trust in Google. Some men trust in Microsoft. Some men trust in chariots. The United States military. Some men trust in their politics. But God, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I will put my hope in you. I will put my faith in you. Whew. Some of you need to stand up right now. and You need to do what I'm going to do right now in this moment. Because I'm in a waiting season just like you are. There's things in my life that I haven't seen come to pass. Bible says in Jeremiah, call on me and I will answer and show you great and mighty things. And in this room, some of you are waiting. You're waiting for a relationship. You're waiting for a job. You're waiting for a miracle. You're waiting for God to do what only he can do. And I say, don't quit. Keep worshiping. Keep believing. Keep praying.